Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Interrobang Podcast. I'm your host, Amy Simon. Thank you for being with me today, and thanks for listening. Before we pick up where we left off with writer and sexual health educator Lydia Collins on inclusion and diversity, it reminds me, we're actually coordinating a cover contest for our diversity issue right now. If you want to see your art on the cover of the Interrobang, this is your chance. The contest is on from now until February 16th, and all you have to do is visit theinterrobang.ca slash contest, fill out the submission forms, and download all of the details that are going to break down sizing, locations, etc. And the winner will also receive a $200 prepaid Visa card. Your art should tell us what diversity means to you. So get your submissions in as soon as possible, and I can't wait to see what you come up with. Now let's go and talk about some of the news you may have missed this week. Our top story, the criminal case of a 21-year-old London man accused of terrorism-related murder of four members of the Avzal family has been moved to the Superior Court of Justice. On Wednesday, Nathaniel Veltman made a brief appearance as federal Crown attorney Lisa Matthews told the courts that the case would be moving ahead without a preliminary hearing. The Avzal family was walking on Hyde Park Road when they were intentionally struck by a pickup truck. London police said the attack was planned and motivated through hate. Veltman was charged with four counts of first-degree murder and one count of attempted murder. He's expected to remain in custody until his next court appearance on March 8th and then to the Superior Court of Justice on April 12th. And GoFundMe has removed the Freedom Convoy's $10 million fundraiser for violating its terms of services. According to the crowdfunding platform, the fundraiser violated its terms of services that prohibits the promotion of violence and harassment. GoFundMe said in a statement that they support peaceful protests and believe that was the intention of the Freedom Convoy's 2022 fundraiser when it was first created. Since then, the city of Ottawa has declared a state of emergency amid the ongoing protest due to a threat of safety and security for its residents. The National Truck Convoy landed in Ottawa on January 28th after the federal government implemented a new policy requiring all truckers who go across the border of the U.S. to be vaccinated in order to avoid testing requirements and a 14-day quarantine. Protesters have stated that they don't plan on leaving Ottawa until COVID-19 restrictions are removed. Also stating that the funds from the GoFundMe page were to help truckers pay for fuel and travel-related expenses. And lastly, the Ontario government is considering possibly eliminating the renewal fees for license plate stickers. While the plan has yet to be finalized, it's a move that could save Ontario drivers up to $120 annually. Dakota Brazier, Press Secretary for Transportation Minister Caroline Mulrooney, would only say that our government is considering a number of options to cut costs for Ontarians. The Ford government has been looking at ways to eliminate the annual fees, which sources say could cost the government $1 billion per year in revenue. It's unknown whether the sticker would be removed altogether. However, an announcement is expected to be made in the coming weeks. But as of now, all Ontario drivers must renew their expired license plate stickers by February 28th. Now, I think it's time to pick up where we left off and jump into part two of the Interrobang podcast Black History Month special episode with Lydia Collins, a writer and sexual health educator with focus on HIV prevention in African, Caribbean, and Black communities and decolonial consent education. We ended part one with talking about Lydia's three self-published poetry books, all focusing on womanhood, Blackness, and even releasing suppressed anger and reminiscing on family values. Lydia has been working with Leah Marshall, Fanshawe's sexual violence prevention advisor to bring an online workshop to our students called Reclaiming Pleasures, Sex, Race, and Liberation, so stay tuned for that. But without further ado, let's jump right back into this wonderful conversation with Lydia Collins. 
these are my experiences as a young black person on transit and the things that I witnessed and the funny, the scary, the um, disturbing, <laughs> the racist encounters, the um, great people that I've met on transit. Um, so, so yeah, it was kind of just a, honestly more felt like almost like a journal of, of my experiences. Which is just absolutely incredible. And to go from that too, I'd love to talk about another piece. I think it's um, one of your previous ones, but it was uh, going back to your blog side. We talked about the whole Adam Sandler one in the beginning, but <laughs> you have the, the other one and it's, I am a hip hop head, a black woman and a product of rape culture. And mm -hmm. when I, I was reading through this one, um, which again was absolutely beautiful, but the way that you you started it was this just really descriptive, quote um, from <laughs> Gay's um, ethnology of rape culture and I it it was just like um it was like I could picture because it was you reading it and you were describing a yeah. part of it that you were at but uh, you went from this quote to saying unfazed and that's how you were feeling while you were reading this and it was almost like it, it kind of led at least me to see that this was going to be all about kind of some desensitization and how they right. are becoming more common within our communities, which they shouldn't be, but unfortunately right. that sometimes is the truth. And I would just love to know why you kind of diving in from there, the lead of it all, <laughs> why you chose yeah. to, to lead it this way, which is again, yeah. amazing, but I just love to know your, your thought process behind it. Of course. Um, <laughs> it's so sweet that you said it in such a nice way of, it was very descriptive. <laughs> <laughs> Um, it was disturbing. It, it's a disturbing quote, right? Um, it's it's from um, again, as you probably read, a Wu Tang Clan song from the beginning. In in their um, in their album, they have a lot of interludes um, that are quite violent. Um, and so, as I was listening to it in the Uber, I remember kind of laugh, laughing to myself for a second because I've been listening to their music since I was a kid. Right. And I've loved hip hop, especially old school hip hop, um, rap for as long as I can remember. So from a young age, I was listening to Wu-Tang Clan and Tupac and Ice Cube and NWA. And so these really like violent lyrics um, in some cases, um, I just felt unfazed by. And for me, that was not the music itself, but my nonchalant attitude towards it and being unfazed that is really the the overall message and the premise of the, the essay right and so when i get into the essay and you know i talk about the fact that hip-hop music that is created and, and dominated by black people is hyper focused on when we talk about contributors to rape culture right when we talk about hip-hop i've seen many essays and articles and quotes and messages and conversations about how hip-hop is killing the youth and is hurting people and is too violent and is dangerous right and it's interesting that those words are associated with it when it's predominantly black music genre um and so the essay and as i mentioned in the first couple of paragraphs i wasn't arguing or negating any of those facts <laughs> any of those facts around the music can be quite violent in, in certain in certain things or sexualize women or, um, you know, be something that those lyrics can contribute to rape culture. Um, 
But for me, what was more interesting, because I felt like that was a very kind of surface level white feminist approach to say, you know, hip hop music is, is, is killing us instead of actually looking at the culprits behind cultivating a society where rape culture is, as Roxanne Gay mentions it, seen as inevitable, right? And so looking at colonialism, looking at um, kind of the real roots of the insidiousness of rape culture, that's, that goes so much deeper than, you know, Wu-Tang Clan <laughs> singing violent lyrics, right? Um, and so to hyper-focus on hip hop as the issue of rape culture is just a performative approach and, and is racist, um, a racist approach to trying to dismantle violence against women and, and rape culture, right? And so when people go under this guise of, oh yeah, I don't like hip hop music because um, I'm a feminist or I don't like hip hop music because it contributes to rape culture. But country music, I, I made an example in there. There's a, a white country song from I think the sixties that literally talks about murdering a woman who said no to them because they, they didn't want to go on a date with them or because she was married or something like that. And there's all kinds of music, rock music, country music, every genre of music that has lyrics. <laughs> you can find something in there that's violent against women that is um it contributes to rape culture that is misogynistic that you know so again for me it, it was really a way to focus on you know why are we only talking about hip-hop when we talk about rape culture in reference to music and pop culture um, when we have so many other examples, right? And the words that we use are very loaded when we talk about hip hop, right? Violent, um, uh, um, angry, right? And the way that those words are often associated with black people as well and stereotypes that are used for black people um, is really important to, to, to note too. So yeah, it was, it was really the, the focus of that essay again was to, to bring light to that, to say, let's kind of shift the conversation away from what we already know, right? What we already know is that patriarchy exists, is that there's music that has that can have misogynistic lyrics, is that we hear people saying, you know, certain lines in the songs that are, are even disturbing <laughs> at times, right? Um, but we know that, right? That's like first year women's studies class. We know that. <laughs> we know that pop culture has references to violence against women and to objectifying and sexualizing women. We get that. So for me, it was more so about including again, and I as I try to do in all my work, including that component of race and racism, specifically in, in the context of anti-Blackness, within a conversation around rape culture and a conversation around sex and sexual health. Um, and bring in that added layer of, okay, yes, objectification of women, but why are we hyper-focusing on, on a genre that is predominantly Black? Why is nobody talking about country music when they talk about violence against women, <laughs> right? Why am I not seeing those articles, but I've seen tons of articles about the dangers of listening to Tupac, <laughs> right? So, um, so it really was, was kind of just uh, a response to, to what I was seeing in the rhetoric I was hearing around hip-hop music being this like, you know, really, really strong entity that has all of the power to to create rape culture and and uphold it, when really, um, rape culture goes so much deeper than the music we listen to. It's it's an entire society that we live in that exists in every aspect of the society, right? Roxanne again, Roxanne Gay talks about rape culture being 
um, attitudes towards violence against women that are not only seen as acceptable, but are also seen as inevitable. So this kind of inevitable, you know, feeling towards that um, is, is the real issue. And that's what I'm interested in talking about. I'm interested in talking deeper than lyrics and music. I'm interested in talking about colonialism. I'm interested in talking about laws around women and violence against women and domestic violence and sexual violence. I'm interested in, you know, at the end of this essay, I talk about the fact that, yes, I'm listening to this violent music. I'm, I'm jamming out to Wu-Tang and I'm living my best life. But I'm also in the Uber, in the back of an Uber that's driven by a man. And because of the ways that I'm programmed as a woman to be super diligent about my safety, I'm listening to this music that people are saying, this is, this is what you should be scared of. But I'm also checking my phone, making sure that he's going in the right direction, right? I'm, I'm checking to see how far we are from the place. I'm looking out the window. I'm, I'm making sure that I know where I am. I'm doing all these things that I've constantly practiced to stay safe as a woman while in the car with a stranger, right? And so the real threat there isn't the music. The real threat there is me being in the back of an Uber with, with a man that I don't know and, and fearing that, you know, hope I'm hope I get there safe, right? Like that's the way that rape culture impacts me every day when I walk around in a world where I can't even feel comfortable going in a car from one place to another, or I can't walk outside at night by myself. Like that's the threat to me, um, more so than listening to NWA. Yeah, absolutely. And that kind of goes to, <clears throat> excuse me, sorry. Um, one, that, that whole, again, the whole piece was absolutely beautiful and it just kind of developed in such a way where it was just absolutely incredible but there was one part in it that I would love to to read if I could I have it here it's, sure. yeah. it, it, it kind of goes with what you were saying that rape culture has impacted no molded my my sense of self my sex life my attraction to partners the way I move through the world and navigate any space at any time like you were saying with the in the article specifically in the uber but um it, it's heightened my anxiety in un unimaginable ways. And I can't know what it would be like if I wasn't impacted by it. And you ended it as well with saying that what I do know is that rape culture is not the elephant in the room. Rape culture is the room. And that to me just impacted me so, so much. And it was so descriptive and it just kind of made everything that you were saying, just get a whole other lens to it that I think is so important. And just needs to be more on that front lines as we were saying before. And you were saying how you were ending it talking, you know, I turn up my music, but you know, I share <laughs> my location with my friend and I'm making right. sure I'm going the right way. And it's, 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 you're, you're displaying these just important topics and these important, I guess, subtopics of this whole problem that is rape culture and you're bringing yourself and you're exposing your vulnerability to it. And that's allowing me as a, a reader personally to really get a, a deeper understanding because there's incidents that I might not even know that I've been or fallen victim to. And it's hearing right. these experiences like how you've gone through and ev everything that you're sharing with your readers. It's it's letting me know that, you know, these things are not okay within society and we can't live in a place where people are I guess the best word is to say becoming ignorant to these types of things. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's so important to, to step up and be like, no, like this, this isn't okay. And we can't, you know, it's not just how you were saying hip hop. That's 
amplifying mm-hmm. rape culture. It, there's a whole bunch of different genres that are doing it. And that's kind of going towards um, some of my, my last questions for you. But I know you have a workshop that's coming up, which is super exciting, um, where you'll be talking a whole bunch more about everything that we've talked about, I'm assuming, today. But I know the title of it is Reclaiming Pleasures, and it breaks it down to sex, race, and liberation. So I would love to know why, I guess, those three pieces specifically, kind of talking about everything we've discussed today, but I would love to know, focusing on what's coming up and yeah, why those those three pieces in, in specifics? Yeah. Um, so for the for the workshop with sex, race, and liberation, um, it, it really, for me, when I think about a lot of the work that I do in the context of incorporating anti-Blackness and, and conversations around race within sexual health education, um, it makes me think a lot about like part of part of decoloning, part of providing sexual health education. There we go. Part of providing sexual health education that is decolonial for me is putting pleasure at the forefront rather than fear, um, because that's something that I never experienced. I went to a Catholic school, so it was very much abstinence. It was very much fear-based. It was very much don't get pregnant. Um, and so for me, one of the ways that I'm trying to, you know, transform what I've learned and, and provide something better for, for those that I um, provide education to is by thinking about pleasure at the forefront. And when I think about pleasure in, in regards to race, I think about how that is liberating, right? When I think about Black people, Black women, Black femmes, specifically being able to take hold of their pleasure in their sex lives, that's huge. That's something that I did not always have, right? And so when I think about um, even in a historic way of, of Black women being sexualized, over-sexualized and um, disrespected and their, their experiences of sexual violence not being taken seriously and that's still existing to this day makes me think about how liberating and how revolutionary in a way it is for Black women to be in the bedroom and say, this is what it is. I, I have my boundaries. I, you know, um, this is what consent looks like. This is what pleasure looks like and feels like for me, being able to take the reins and and feel like they're in control of their sex life is something that I think is so liberating and huge and something that um, a lot of Black girls and women that I talk to and that I've worked with, I have not experienced in their sex life um, or even in their romantic life, even when it comes to non-sexual consent. Um, And so with this workshop, I really want to talk about that. I want to talk about reclaiming pleasure. I want to talk about... um, you know, when I think of those tropes of the Sapphire, the Mammy and the Jezebel, and I think about the ways that Black women's fate has been kind of laid out for us, and ex- there's certain expectations of how we're supposed to act and how we're supposed to inter interact with sex and what we're supposed to like and what we're supposed to not like as Black women, um, what we're supposed to do, um, who we're supposed to do it with. Like, all of these things are, are very much rooted in kind of a lot of stereotypes around Black women. And so for me, this is a way to open up that conversation about what does it look like for you? What does pleasure look like for you? Um, and, and, and how will that kind of allow you to feel more free, more open, more comfortable in, in your sex life? Um, and also part of the, the workshop too is, is talking about reclaiming that pleasure um, in a pandemic, <laughs> right? Where there's a lot of shame around wanting physical touch because you also want to be safe and you also don't want to be 
um, going against restrictions or or not following protocols that are meant for you know community health. Um, and so just also just opening up a conversation around what that could look like, um, you know, coping with that shame, coping with wanting physical touch um, at a time like this and ways to to maybe engage in in safer ways in a pandemic. Um, and also really for me, kind of going back to that pleasure and that liberation piece, uh, what does in a time where we're kind of all locked down, we can't always see other people and romantic partners, what does self-pleasure look like, right? What does it mean to kind of really take the time to reflect and engage with your own body and learn about what you like and what you don't like and how that can improve partner and sex in the future? And um, yeah, so so that's going to be, a, I guess, without giving it completely away, that's a little bit into what the workshop will be about, I guess, to, to really get the full experience, folks will have to join. Um, but that's just a little synopsis, I guess, of, of, a, bit of, a, of a look into what we'll be talking about, some of the, the main topics and themes that will be coming up. Um, and there's going to be a fun activity as well, focused on kind of self-love and, and self-care. So it's a writing activity, actually. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to, to have this workshop with students. Yeah, absolutely. It's amazing. And for everyone listening, it's March 8th, I believe, from 7 to 8.30, and it's an online event. And for our audience, all who's interested, and I highly recommend this, I know I'm already registering. <laughs> uh, you can email support at uwo.ca to register. And I know you're coordinating, I saw with Fanshawe Zone, so our own Leah Marshall on this, who are sexual, yeah. who's our sexual violence prevention advisor, and she's absolutely incredible. Great. Yeah, Love Leah. Awesome. <laughs> um, and I, yeah, I, I'm, I'm so looking forward to this because I think even, um, well, I can't relate from the the black woman side of things. I can relate from just the woman side of things and kind of yeah. understanding what this consent is and gaining that right, control right. and getting those reins, as you were saying. So I think it's it's so yeah. important and I can't wait. And I guess as a final question, just kind of accompanying everything that we've talked about today, and I, uh, whether it's through your workshops, your poetry, or for those following your blog and seeing those essays that you post, what is the overall final message that you want your audience and uh, really just everyone to grasp and understand through your work? Mm -hmm. I like that question. Thank you. <laughs> like, that's, a good, that's a good question. Um, Thank you. I think at the, at the core of it, um, when I think of the work that I do and what I, what I want people to learn from any of the work that I'm doing, whether it be the workshops or, or the writing, um, is to learn about yourself first. Um, I think for me, a lot of my work, as you've noticed, based on you know the, the works that we were talking about that I wrote, come from personal experience, right? So as much as I, I come in with um, professional and academic experience in these topics, um, the kind of the kind of focus of my work is usually incorporating my own lived experience in these as well. Um, and so when I think about what it was like for me as a young black girl in a predominantly, predominantly white space, a young black queer girl at that, in a predominantly white space, um, trying to navigate my sexual life um, and the mistakes that I made along the way and the 
the sexual trauma that that kind of um, impacted me and, and you know, um, just really wanting people, especially black youth, to take the time to build their confidence, to learn about consent, to learn about pleasure and what what feels good for them, um, and to be unwavering in their boundaries. When you set boundaries, make sure that there's consequences when those boundaries aren't met. Don't just put them up in a flimsy way and say, oh, well, he didn't listen or she didn't listen, so I just went along with it. Be your biggest advocate um, and, and take the best care of your body that you can. You only have one. Um, and, and it's something that I think a lot of folks look back on their teenage years and wish they took better care of or look back on their younger years and wish they took better care of. And so really just kind of, really, I always try to hone in on body autonomy, um, on setting boundaries and, and on, yeah, advocating for yourself as much as you can in your sex life. But also when you do that in one aspect of your life, it seeps out into other aspects of your life as well. Right. So when, when you're really diligent about how you, um, advocate for yourself in your sexual and romantic relationships, it's going to seep out into your workplace. It's going to seep out into your, what you demand from friends and family, right? Boundary setting and consent is not just sexual. It it goes into every aspect of your life. Um, And so, yeah, learn yourself first, start with from within first and um, really take the time to do the work on you because you will not regret it as you get older. Um, Yeah, I would say that is, that's what I really hope in any of the work that I write and the work that I do. I hope that's what people take away from it is that they, they leave having a conversation with me or going to a workshop with me, feeling like they have more tangible tools to facilitate better and safer sex lives and romantic lives and, and relationships in all aspects of life. That's absolutely beautiful. Well, Lydia, thank you so much for joining us here in the Ontario Bank podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you. Thank you so much, Amy. This has been so great. And I really appreciate you having me on here. While we've talked about some serious topics during this Black History Month special, I want our listeners to know that at Fanshawe, we have confidential support on campus for students who have experienced gender-based violence, whether it happened before they were a student or while they were at Fanshawe. Leah, who is the Sexual Violence Prevention Advisor, can meet with you confidentially to review your options and rights. This can include academic accommodations, counseling, medical interventions, reporting, legal options, and more. Sexual violence is never the survivor's fault. Leah can be reached through her email to set up an appointment at lkmarshall at fanshawe.ca. And as a refresher, Lydia has a workshop coming up this March. Again, that's Reclaiming Pleasure, Sex, Race, and Liberation, an online event coming up on March 8th from 7 to 8.30. And to register, you can email support at uwo.ca. Thank you again to Lydia Collins. And as for the Interabang podcast, you can catch up with every episode on Google Play, Apple Music, and Spotify. Make sure you subscribe to our newsletter to keep up with all things Fanshawe.